God, I just pray that we would focus our eyes on you. For you are our firm foundation. You're the one who laid it out. You're the one who initiated it. You're the one who perfects it. And God, I just pray that we would focus on you. God, that you would move in us, that you would stir in our hearts, you would prepare in us to do what it is that you've called us to do. God, we love you. We're thankful for what you've done here at Edinburgh Church. And God, we pray that you continue to do it and do it in this world and do it in our hearts, do it in everything that you're doing, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Hey, uh, we're just really glad you guys are here. If you're back here, maybe you came to one of our Christmas Eve services and you're here uh, for the second time. We just want to say welcome back. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Maybe you came uh, and you were visiting family in town and then they just walked into their guest room and were like, get up, we're going to church. And you're like, I didn't sign up for that. Uh, Well, we're glad you're here too. Uh, My name is Tyler. I am uh, the director of student ministries here. So I get to hang out with students uh, and uh, tell them about Jesus, which I love. Uh, And uh, we're just really glad you're here. Maybe you're watching online. Uh, It's still raining out. Um, What a weird day for weather, right? Um, but no, we're glad you're here. And uh, this Christmas season has been uh, a little bit different for our family. Uh, on December 3rd, we added uh, our third child, but our first daughter to our family. That's Eleanor Christine. She was born. Yeah. So we're over the moon excited about, uh, about her joining our family, everything like that. However, if I start speaking in a language you don't understand, it's just sleep deprivation, I promise. So, but uh, yeah, so it's kind of crazy. And um, I was just thinking about what Amanda said. 25 people for the first time made a decision to follow Jesus this past Christmas. Um, That's crazy. But what is even cooler to me as I've uh, become a father again, I'm a father of three, Uh, just thinking about my my kids are in our our children's ministry program. And um, 18 of those people that accepted Christ on Christmas Eve uh, were were, were kids. Um, Think about that. 18 kids said yes. They said they want to make Jesus uh, the leader of their life and want to follow him. Uh, and so for those of you that work in, in, in the kids' ministry, those that served in the kids' ministry, thank you. Uh, from, as a father, not as the pastor speaking here, uh, but as a father, thank you for the impact that you're having uh, and continue to have on, on these kids. Um, yeah, there you go. Let's pray. No, I'm kidding. Okay, uh, we're moving into New Year. Uh, we are two days, is it two days? Two days away from the new year, uh, 2020. And I'm trying something new this year uh, that I haven't done before. And uh, I've been, uh, I have family and friends who actually every year, uh, come December, they start praying and they say, hey God, will you give me a word? Will you give me something that you want? Uh, and it kind of becomes the mantra uh, for, for their year. And so they, they begin praying and God gives them a word. And so uh, this year, starting in December, I started praying. I was like, God, would you just give me a word? Would you, would you give me something uh, to kind of be the, like my rally? cry, my battle cry uh, for, for this year. And uh, since it's 2020, uh, I, th- I thought, it was, you know, God gave me the word and the word was focus. I thought it was appropriate, 2020, vision, focus. It made a lot of sense. But God really pushed, put it on my heart and stressed this idea of focus. Uh, and, and the last few years, uh, myself and my family, we've been through a lot of changes. We've had some job changes. We've had, uh, uh, we moved. We've added people to our family. And all throughout this time, um, and God has been doing things at church here. There's been lots of changes at church. Um, and, and we've seen some amazing growth and some, some uh, things that only can be explained by what God is doing here at, at, at Edinburgh. And, and God has just stressed on my heart and on my uh, life, like, hey, let's remain focused. Let's keep focused on what's important. Let's keep focused on what is going on here, because here's the reality, is we can be easily distracted, amen? 
This is the part there in first service I try to teach them the holy moo. You ever heard of the holy moo? Where you're like, mmm, right? And somebody says something and you agree with it and you're like, mmm, I agree. So if you want a holy moo, that's totally cool. It's, if that's weird, don't do it, I guess. I don't know. But we're so distracted. We're constantly, things are constantly vying for our attention. Actually, while I was writing this idea of we're so distracted, my phone buzzed like eight times. And it was all Josh and Brent. And I'm like, don't you guys ever work? I don't know. But that, like my phone buzzed. And we're so distracted by our circumstances. We're distracted by the things around us, by our sins, by our faults, by our successes. Everything is vying for our attention. And this is something that I've learned this year. Uh, I have to do a little confession. It's good for the soul to move into confession time. Uh, but part of what I do... Uh, as a youth pastor, is I constantly am trying to communicate with people. And so I send a lot of emails. You probably know that because you get a lot of emails from me if you have students in the youth group. Uh, but I'm always trying to communicate with people, trying to send out emails. Um, and, and full confession, sometimes I wonder myself, do people actually read my emails? And so if you do, thank you. If you don't, start reading. Um, but I wonder, like, oh, man, okay, is this going on? But, uh, um, and sometimes, I, if I'm totally honest, I'd get a little frustrated and go, oh, man, why did, why did nobody read my emails? Nobody knows what's going on. However, God has uh, um, taught me something. Uh, this year, my oldest, my five-year-old Oliver, has gone into preschool, and uh, they sent a lot of emails. And full confession, I don't read them all. So if I have ever thought a bad thought about you, I'm sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. Uh, but the reality still is the same. We are constantly, people are constantly vying for our attention. They constantly want something, uh, you know, us to do something. Or there's constantly, like, why is there always a potluck? I don't know. Like, it just feels like there, there's constantly this draw or this, uh, this, this grab. Like, hey, we need this. We need to urge you to do this. Being called upon, requested of, or whatever it is. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? Maybe you feel like you're doing this and that and this and that, and you start asking yourself, am I even focusing on the right thing? Am I even focusing on the right thing? We have sports and school and job requirements and ailing parents and trying to decide whether, where we should go to school, who to date, should I get married, should I be single, did I turn off the oven, did I forget my mom's Christmas gift? What is that awful smell? Hopefully it's not the oven. That would be, that'd be bad. We're constantly constantly being distracted. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I need a little focus this year. Maybe you feel like you're just like not where you're supposed to be. Maybe, maybe your focus seems a little bit off. Maybe you just seem a little bit lost. And, and it's easy to go, well, we're just, I'm just busy. I'm just busy. I'm just a little distracted. Things, things are, it's, it's, whatever. It's just kind of, it's how it is. And I want to encourage us to think about that that's actually a dangerous place to be because there is danger in distraction. Let me say it again. There's danger in distraction. Satan wants to distract us. He wants to keep us off task of what we're really called to do. And there is danger in distraction. We know this is true because there's a story in the Bible of a guy named David. And David was the king of Israel. He was a man uh, described as a man after God's own heart. Now, if we're talking about titles, that's a pretty good title. Would you agree? Like, if I'm having a title, like, there's CEO, there's president, whatever. But man after God's own heart, that's a title that I want. So David is a man after God's own heart, and uh, he, God uses him to slay giants, to defeat armies. He becomes king and does all these things. But David, he was human. He was susceptible to distractions. And it was, it, it was just this, this distraction that happened in his life, and I want to read that for you. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, it says this. Listen closely. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war... David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and went walking on the roof of his palace, and he looked over the city, and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent his messengers to get her, and she came to the palace. He slept with her. Then when she completed her purification rites after having her menstrual period, she, then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent for David a message saying, I am pregnant. And so David then goes, oh man, what am I going to do? He tries to get Uriah to come back to sleep with his wife so that he could pass off this child or this pregnancy on Uriah and cover up his sin, cover up his, what he did when that didn't work because Uriah was like, no, I'm going to stay. I'm gonna, I want to fight. And when that didn't work, he had Uriah sent to the front line of the army where he surely would be killed and he was killed. And then David took Bathsheba for his own. See, David... David tried to cover up his sin and ended up having, having Uriah killed, a man who was, was one of his trusted soldiers, a person that he fought alongside, had him killed. But did you see where the distraction happened? Did you see? It wasn't when he looked over the palace and saw Bathsheba. Did you see where the distraction happened? The distra distraction happened, it says, when the kings normally went to war, David stayed behind. When the kings normally went to war, David stayed behind. See, losing focus, becoming distracted, being distracted from the things that we're called to do as Christians, as people who, who follow Jesus, being distracted can be devastating. David's life was never the same because of this distraction, these things that happened. Maybe you're sitting here and you feel like your life is out of whack. Maybe you're sitting here and you feel like your life is like, what, is, what am I doing? What is going on? Are you lacking focus? Is there something or someone that has knocked you off course from the purpose and the mission that God has called you to? Or maybe you just feel like you never really had that focus. And it became all too true when you spent Christmas with your family and you're like, what is going on? This is chaos. Like It's supposed to be this joyous season and you're just like, I just can't wait to get home. And there's chaos, and life seems out of focus, and life seems so distracted. And some of you are sitting here and going, I just need a little focus. I need a little direction. I need a little purpose. Or maybe it's the sin that has entangled you. Maybe you've allowed the distraction to catch hold of you in a way that has caused this sin. Maybe it's something that has grabbed onto you, and it started out really small. It started out just this little thing, and now it's grown to something where you're going, my life is out of control. I don't know what to do. I just need to refocus. I need to tune in. Maybe this year your word needs to be focus. However, if we say that the word needs to be focused, it's really easy to focus on all kinds of different things because we get distracted by all kinds of different things. And so we can say focus and we can actually focus in on the wrong thing. And so we need to make sure that we are focusing in on the right thing. So the question we have to ask is, what is the right thing? Why do we need to focus on the right thing? Is because your focus determines your direction. Your focus determines your direction. If you want, don't believe me, go out, just look one certain way when you're driving. Actually, don't do that. That's a bad idea. But you often drift when you're driving. And you're looking at something, maybe there's like uh, something happening over here, maybe it's a car accident, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you, you realize you're drifting because your focus determines your direction. So where should we focus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, what's happening here is in Hebrews 11, they describe all these people of faith, all these people in the Bible are heroes of the faith, the people of faith. It says, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It says the weight that slows us down. This does not necessarily mean they're all bad things. Sometimes the weights, the things that slow us down, the things that distract us are good things, but they're not God things. We allow these things to distract us, to, 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 to like become more important than God. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't like, have your family be important. I'm not saying your work shouldn't be important or your hobbies can't be important. I'm not saying that. However, what I'm saying is that we need to see it through the lens of Jesus. He needs to be our prescription. He needs to be our glasses as we see everything through the lens of Christ because that determines our direction. Maybe it's a sin that's tripping us up. Maybe there's a sin that constantly we're like, we're like, oh, I want to follow Jesus, but then, oh, I tripped back into this. And I love the imagery that it's a sin, it trips us up. Why? Why does it matter that we throw off the weights? Why does it matter that we're not being tripped up? Because, because, listen to this, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. We need to throw off the distractions. We need to break away from the sins because you have a plan set forth for you by God. Your life is not an accident. He has a race that he has set out before you. You are not just simply living. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have a meaning. If you are walking in with Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have purpose. We live in a world where people are constantly searching for purpose, and we as Christians have that purpose when it's found in Christ. You're not simply living, but Satan, Satan so badly wants to distract us to make us think that our life doesn't matter, that we don't really have any sort of impact. We don't have any sort of, uh, of whatever and that's just a lie. That's wrong. That's wrong because if you are called to faith in Jesus, a life on purpose, you are called to a life on purpose for God. With a calling, with a purpose, with a reason. But how? How do we do this? How do we focus? Or what or who do we focus on? In verse 2 of Hebrews 12, listen to what it says. We do this. So how do we run the race? How do we, fo- or how do we not get tripped up? How do we throw off this weight? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and he perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarded its shame. Now he is seated in the high place of honor beside God. We keep our focus on the most important thing when we keep our eyes on Jesus. I know that this is a Sunday school answer. I know. Where should we focus? Jesus. I get it. It's a Sunday school answer. But it's true. It's so true. This year in 2020, we need to focus on Jesus because he is the author and the champion who initiates our faith and perfects it. We need to look through the lens of Jesus in everything that we do first. It needs to begin with looking to Jesus, to look at Jesus, and then he causes us to look around. Focus on Jesus. When I, my relationship with Jesus is right, my relationship with my wife is better. When my relationship, when I focus on Jesus, I treat my kids better. When I focus on Jesus, my walk with him, my, my quiet time, how I'm spending time in the Bible are better because I'm focusing on Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the right prescription that brings life to a world out of focus. With our time left, I want to give you some practical steps because I think it would be unfair of me to just simply say, hey, go focus on Jesus. Let's pray. 
I want to give you some practical steps, some things that we can walk through. And since we were talking about focus and since we're talking about this idea of of vision and that, maybe I I want you to think of it as a prescription. Just like when you go to the eye doctor and they they check your eyes and they realize that they're out of focus and they give you corrective lenses. I hope that these things that I'm talking about here are are those spiritual prescriptions. Whether you're new to your relationship with Jesus, whether you've been walking with Jesus your entire life, or maybe you don't even walk with Jesus right now. But these are things that if we, we can tune our eyes, we can redirect our eyes to focus on what is most important, and that is Jesus. And so the first part of the prescription is this. If you take notes, I encourage you to write this down. We need to focus on what Jesus did, not what we have done. We need to focus on what Jesus did, not what we have done. The author of Hebrews says we need to throw off the distractions and the sin that so easily trips us up. Listen, if you want to focus on Jesus in this new year, you need to stop looking down. You need to stop looking down. What do I mean by that? I know that I'm a sinner. The Bible tells me so. I know that you are sinners. I love you. You're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. God knows that you have failed him. That's why he sent Jesus. Sometimes we walk into this building and we think we have to have everything together. We think we have to have our life figured out, everything, never mind the fact that we're yelling at our kids in the car, shut up, we're, getting, we're going to church. And you get to church and you're like, blessings, brother. Peace be with you. Shalom. You're like, I don't even know what that means. I just yelled at my kid in the car. But... And we think we have to put on this idea or this, 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 this image But God knows we failed him. That's why he sent Jesus. But we get so distracted at looking down, and we're just like, oh, man, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a failure. We get so distracted by these things, when in reality what God is calling us to do is look up. Look up. Fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to look up. The author and the perfecter of our faith. What I'm trying to do here today is to not get you to focus on your sin and your shortcomings, but to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, what he has done, the work that he has done that we could not do. Because he, but here's the thing, is he doesn't stop there. It gets me all giddy. He doesn't just stop there at dealing with the problem of sin, at dealing with our brokenness, with dealing with all the parts where we miss. He doesn't stop there, which brings me to the next part of this prescription is we need to focus on what God has called us to do. We need to focus on what God has done, not what we have done. And then we need to focus on what God has called us to do. We should focus on what he's calling us to do. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Those that are in Jesus, you've been given a new life. God has given you a new lease on life. He's taken you out of of brokenness and darkness and given you new life. And it says, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Fix your eyes somewhere else. Set your eyes, the sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life. 
And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Jesus did not just deal with the problem of sin to simply allow us to say, I got to get out of hell free card. He loves you too much to let you just stay at that. Well, I, I, I punched my ticket to heaven. And I say this with all love and humility as I can, and I hope you hear my heart, because there's nothing more that I want for you as a pastor of this church, one of the pastors of this church, is to watch you walk in step with Jesus, to fix your eyes on Jesus. But I need to say this. Jesus did not just save, us, or save you and go through everything simply so you can comfortably arrive at death. My heartbeat speeds up whenever I say that. Because that's not always easy to hear. Yes, Jesus is going to give you joy and he's going to give you peace, but he also gives you a purpose and a mission. God has called you to something. He did not just simply save you from something. He saved you for something. He saved you more than just comfortably arriving at death because he loved you so much. He saved you. He saved me to ignite a passion, to ignite a mission in our lives. And what is that mission? Is to see more people coming to know Jesus, to multiply ourselves. It's a Christian order. It's what God has commanded us as a mission to live on mission. And the mission is to multiply ourselves, to make disciples. And people who follow Jesus, who make disciples, that context varies, but the mission is always the same. To multiply ourselves. In my home, Laura and I are called to point Oliver Bennett and Eleanor to Jesus. It's our calling as parents. Keep them alive, yes, that's important. But we're called to point them to Jesus. That's why every night I pray with my kids. I pray a prayer over them that they would grow up to be men and women of integrity, purity, character, and love. And that they would know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's my prayer for my children. My children could grow up. I, I don't care where they go to school. I don't care if they become professional athletes. I, although that would be nice. I don't care if, like, what, is, what I care about is I want my kids to walk with Jesus. I want my kids to love Jesus because I want to spend eternity with my kids. And so my calling is to raise up my children. There's a passage in, in Psalms 127. It says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full, for he is raising arrows or darts to combat the enemy. I'm raising weapons to fight against Satan. And their names are Oliver, Bennett, and Eleanor. I want my kids to walk with Jesus, to know Jesus. As a husband, I'm called to encourage my wife to walk in step with Jesus, to lead her, to love her, and to show her that, that, that it, to walk with Jesus and walk alongside her in that. At work, I want to be a good employee. I want, to, I want people to walk with Jesus. I want students, the students that walk through these doors, every student that comes here, I want them to know Jesus, know how much God loves them, how much he knows them, and how he wants to walk with them. That's a calling in my life. In my extended family, I can tell people about Jesus. Listen to me. If you're the person in your family that everybody has pray before a meal, what an opportunity you have for your family. What an opportunity you have because they have identified something in you. And now you can simply say, all right, I'll just be the prayer. Or you can say, no, 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 I'm going to live on mission. I'm what God has called me to be, to be a light in my family. And some of you are like, my family needs Jesus. In your neighborhood, you have the opportunity to be a light. I mentor people in my life, uh, and, and, and my job is to point them to Jesus. 
If we take on the name of Jesus, the name of Christ, which is Christian, your life has a mission. King David didn't go out. He was supposed to go out with his soldiers. He was supposed to go out as kings did. He did not do it. He shirked on his responsibility. I don't ever want to be the person. I don't ever want to be the person. I see it. I don't want to be the person that claims Christ and then denies him with a distracted life. And I hope that you don't either. I claim Christ. And if I claim that, that means something. And I don't want to be a person who claims Jesus and then denies him by the way that I live. Because that makes me the worst hypocrite there could be. Church, we can be better. Let's be better. Let's love well. Let's preach the gospel boldly. Let's welcome people into our church, but more importantly, welcome people into a relationship with God who loves them and knows him. That's a mission that I want to be a part of. That's a mission that God has called me to. Our context looks different. Your context might not be my context, but your context, your mission is still the same, to make Jesus known, to multiply yourself, to raise up disciples, people who follow Jesus, that's why our church is passionate about people coming to know Jesus, but also we want them to continue to walk with Jesus. Outside these walls, outside these doors, right over on Dunbar Knoll, on Stinson Boulevard, there are people that don't know Jesus. Do we care? I think we are called to, commanded to. That's our mission. That's our, that's our calling as a church, but not even like as a church, but the church isn't just this building. The church is us as Christians as, as we go out in your context. Students, I tell you this all the time. It's weird if I, as a 30-year-old man, walk onto your school campus. People are like, who's that guy? But you have an unbelievable opportunity to bring Jesus to your school, to your workplaces, to your knitting clubs. I don't know. You have the opportunity. Do they even do knitting clubs anymore? Okay, sorry, that's ADD moment. But we need to be focused on what God has called us to. The third point is this. We need to be focused on the things that God has given us. How can I focus on that mission? The mission that seems so daunting. How do I focus on that? Remember when we read earlier in Hebrews 12, it says he's the author or the initiator of our faith, and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's a perfecter of our faith. God gives us everything we need to follow him, to walk in the life that he's called us to. He gives us everything we need. You have no excuse. He's given it to us. How do I know? It says so in the Bible, 2 Peter 1.3. By his divine power, by God's power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. We have everything we need, every tool to follow God. It is at our fingertips to follow God, to walk with him, the life that he's called us to. What are these things? We have the Bible. And I know you're like, okay, pastor. Here's the pastor telling me to read the Bible. But listen to this. John 5, 39, you have searched the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Jesus is saying the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God points to me. From Genesis all the way back, all the way through Revelation, the Bible is constantly pointing to Jesus and saying, fix your eyes on him. Because all things were created through him. All things were for him and by him. The scriptures, the Bible points to Jesus. 
We read the Bible not just simply to check it off our list, but because it points us to Jesus. And then we get our orders to love well, to preach the gospel, to multiply ourselves, to make disciples. So we have the Bible. Spending time reading it and studying it, the Bible points us to Jesus. We have prayer. This is what God gives us, a direct connection to him through prayer. We can go to God. We can communicate with him. And prayer aligns our heart with him. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Have an attitude of prayer. Oftentimes, we have a tendency to go to prayer last. Like, I, have no, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to pray. I would attest, and I would challenge us as a church, that needs to be the first place we go. I don't know what to do. I'm going to fall to my knees and pray. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm going to fall to my knees and pray. I don't know what I'm going to do or, or how I'm going to make this, how I'm going to get a car after an accident. We need to fall to our knees and pray to go there first. Just if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, what's going on? I'm preaching to myself right now. Because oftentimes I get nervous and I think, oh, maybe this will, will solve it or this or that. And I don't always go to Christ first. And so I'm preaching to myself. Please don't hear me and go, he's just telling me what to do. I'm preaching to myself. I want to be a person who never stops praying. Prayer is a powerful, often underutilized tool that we have as Christians. We have a prayer team here at Edinburgh Church. It's a phenomenal prayer team. They meet on Tuesdays and they meet on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 7.30. Maybe God is like prompting you, like, hey, you should join them and, and be a prayer warrior. They pray for our church. They pray for you. They pray for the pastors and the staff. They pray for our students and our kids, the ones that are accepting Christ, 18 of them on Christmas Eve. They're praying for that. They're, they're begging God. They're on their knees. They're praying, going, God, we want to see you move in this place. They're going first to prayer, and that team is the gasoline to this church. That team is the gasoline to this church, and maybe God is going, hey, you should fill up that tank. Next, we're given the Holy Spirit. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, Jesus, we're given a seal or a sign that we belong to Jesus, and that is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is called the guide. The Holy Spirit guides all believers in how we walk, how we walk in step with God. It teaches us and guides us and encourages us, and when those moments where we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. If we want to focus on Jesus, we should focus on the things that he's given us. His word, the Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit. You've been given everything you need to walk with Jesus. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we lose focus. Your focus determines your direction. This year, 2020, if we want to focus our eyes on Jesus and allow him to direct us this year, what kind of impact could he do with that? What if we were a church that was focused on his agenda, on God's will? This year, my word is focused, not because I want to focus on myself or any of those, not that those are bad things, but I want to focus on Jesus' agenda. I want to focus on Jesus' will, not my own. I want to focus on Jesus because he is the author and he's the perfecter of my faith. What if our prayer this year was the same prayer that Jesus prayed? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think sometimes we really like the idea of his will or, or his in heaven. But it says, 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means us living out the mission that he's called us to. To love well, to preach the gospel, to multiply ourselves, to point people to Jesus because he's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. We live in a world that desperately needs Jesus. And you have that message. I have that message. We have that message. If you're sitting here and you're going, what is this message? I want that message. That it's there. It's a free gift that God has for us to simply, just simply say, God, I want that. I want that life. I want that power that raised you from the dead. I want that to dwell in me. I want to be in relationship with you. We have the hope of the world. And for some reason, God decided that we were going to be the vessels by which that hope came out. Personally, I think he could have picked some better ones, but because I feel pretty inadequate at times. But the Bible paints a picture of clay fragile jars with a light so great, with a treasure so great. If we just simply would be those jars that would hold that and people would see the gift, that would give the gift of Jesus, that people would know him. Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of focus that I want. We uh, are partnering with our uh, denomination Converge uh, to provide a resource called the King's Agenda. It's a 21-day prayer focused, uh, focused prayer guide uh, for, for us to do. Uh, and as a church, we're asking that we would, we would commit to do this from January 1st to January 21st, 21 days of focusing in on the King's agenda, focusing in on what God has for us in 2020. What a way to focus our hearts, to use the resources that he's given us, like his word and prayer and the Holy Spirit, to focus in on what God has for us. Um, <laughs> first service, they cleaned us out, so... <laughs> Uh, but we're going to be sending an email out. You can actually, you can go on to myedinburgh.org. You can download uh, the, the digital copy if you want. Uh, if you come up to me before, like after I pray and say amen, I'll give you this one. You can have this one. Uh, but we're going to send an email out. And I want to encourage you to use that. And then next week we'll have a ton more that you guys will be able to, to, to grab too. But just asking as a church, what if we focused in? What if we focused in on what God has for us, what God is calling us to, this agenda that he has to love well, to multiply ourselves, to preach the gospel, to let people in a world that desperately need Jesus to know Jesus. We can partner with God in his agenda, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you want, um, you can go to myandbrook.org, download it. Otherwise, there'll be an email coming out this week. Otherwise, next Sunday, we will have more of these for you guys. Um, Let's be a church who's focused. Focus on what God has for us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would move in only a way that you can. God, we can build the trellises, but you make the vine grow. God, I pray that you would move in Brooklyn Park, in Minnesota. God, there's so many people out there that need to know you. And God, may we be the people that you use to draw them to you. Not for our glory, not for our will, not for our kingdom, but that your kingdom may be expanded. God, may you be glorified. May you be made famous so that we can join in your glory and your marvelous light. 
we can have that purpose, we can have that direction. God, may you be glorified. Amen.